when you grow up with people who are a different race than you and your family, like you can't help feel anything but white because it's like, you know, like you are the reason why your mom gets like stopped at the border. And like, I remember when I was a kid and like I dropped a cereal box in like the grocery store aisle and my grandpa like was at the other end of the aisle. And this woman came up to me and was like, oh my God, where's your mom? Like you just dropped, like you're dropping stuff. Like who who's here to watch you? And I was like, my grandpa. And he was the only other person in the aisle. And she was like, where is he? Eita, Brasil. Tá comigo? What's up, humans? Uh, welcome back to another episode of La Mescla. My name is Adrian Burke. I'm the creator and host of this uh, show that you're listening to right now. Uh, thank you so much for listening to it. Um, if you're new, thanks so much for being here. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for continuing to validate me and my life choices. Uh, please remember to like, rate, review, and subscribe and all that shit that people do with podcasts and um, uh, tell people about the show. And if, if you're interested in being on the show, as, as uh, several people increasingly are, uh, just be sure to DM the show's Instagram account at La Mescla Pod. Follow it and DM me. Uh, and I'll put you on the list. Um, so without further ado, let's get into this week's guest. And my guest this week, I was so excited to have him on. It was a long time in the works. And by that, I mean, like, literally, I tried to get him on the show uh, close to a year and a half ago, and it never happened. But uh, uh, as with all good things, uh, patience paid off. I'm so excited to bring you this episode with the wonderful, wonderful Ryan Leach. Uh, Ryan is an amazing actor, comedian, satirist, writer, co-founder of Off Mag, which uh, some of you might know uh, as a really, really brilliantly funny uh, online queer satirical magazine. Please be sure to follow them on all platforms at AWF Mag. Um, it's good shit with contributors all over the country. Uh, Ryan and I had a really, really great really wide-ranging and like very educational like one of the more educational episodes of this show in the existence of its run i'd say um so please uh without further ado i'm just gonna stop talking now uh because i told myself this year that the intros would be shorter and less about me so <laughs> without further ado uh please enjoy my conversation with the brilliant ryan leach let's do let's do it hi ryan hey how are you i'm fantastic how are you doing you know as good as anyone probably absolutely absolutely <laughs> i mean we did just have a whole conversation about how you're literally thriving in this moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do i like i'm thriving in chaos um i think uh you know we can talk a little bit more about like where i'm from and stuff but i just feel like um i lived a life that was pretty flexible and also like a little unstable. And so when the world mm. falls apart, you're in a good place with that kind of life to adapt in, into success or at least into, you know, a little bit better than other people, you know? Yeah. You hear that everybody just live with a baseline amount of instability and you'll be fine. <laughs> you know, in this country, it's not hard to do that. In fact, facts, you know, <laughs> facts, facts. Okay. So, Ryan, so my uh, uh, my my very small but very devoted fan base, who I affectionately call my mom's friends, because that's pretty much everybody who engages with the show. Um, they want to, they don't know who the fuck you are. So just explain, introduce yourself, tell them where you're from, and what your what your mix is. 
what my mix is. What a great way to put that. Um, So I, my name is Ryan Leach. Um, I'm an actor and a comedian and a satirist here in New York City. Probably the thing I'm most proud of is um, I run Off Magazine. I'm I'm a co-founder and an executive editor. It's a queer satire website. Uh, I'm gay to come out to your mom's friends, you know, just to lead, pave the way. Yeah, I'm from... all, all of the all of the interpreters of the tri-state area are scandalized right now. They're like, my, my God, my mom, my mom, my mom is an interpreter. That's the only reason I say that. Oh, I love that's <laughs> that's an excellent job. Yeah, um, and we, um, yeah, like uh, I'm I'm from uh, I was born in uh, Ohio actually, and we moved away when I was two years old. Uh, I was born in Medina County, which most people don't know. I don't really even remember it. And then we moved to Virginia. So we moved to Mechanicsville, Virginia, which is um, probably like outside of Richmond. It's, it has like a very rural character to it. So I grew up around like, mm-hmm. there was not a lot of like businesses and things. Um, it was like a lot of farmland. I went to school with people who lived on farms, but I also mm-hmm. went to school with people who like lived in apartments and you know their parents commuted into the city. So. It was a nice mix, um, you know, and I lived with both of my parents until I was like a teenager and then they got divorced and I uh, moved in with my mom. So we moved Mm. away from my dad's house. So my mix, my, I come from two very, very distinct cultures. Mm. I know this game. I know this game. One thing that's really um, unique about them is that they're both sort of like very American cultures. Um, Mm. So, you know, the first one is my father, who is from like Appalachian Mountain people. Uh, He is from where West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio all come together. So like it's the hills, it's the mountains. It's Mm -hmm. sort of the triangle between Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, which are three major cities in that region. Or, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Wheeling, but I'll say major cities. I have never been lightly. to Wheeling. I have never been to Wheeling. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lucky. Uh, and then um, a lot of history, I'll say, a lot of history there. So I can imagine. then my dad, so that's my dad. My mom's family are Tejano people. So we are Mexican American. There's lots of different words for it. Essentially, my mom's family, um, they're Texans. They're like the oldest Texans other than indigenous people. They mm-hmm. were there from the very beginning of colonization. And there was obviously like, it went through that process of Latin American colonization that's familiar to people mm-hmm. who descend from other Latin American countries. Um, they call themselves Tejano or you know Mestizo or Mexican-American or um oftentimes they'll go by chicano you know it's it's really like there's a lot of fine lines between these different terms and uh a lot of really specific histories and emotions that go into these terminologies that i've slowly learned as i've gotten older but really i mean it's mexican-american so they were there and they were in mexico and then the mexican-american war happened and they became americans um hmm. which is interesting so that's that's and my you've, two and, cultures. and you've have you done like have you done like your specific genealogy like you've traced to relatives in that time period 
Yeah, I'm very interested in genealogy. And a part of that reason is because we are like mixed. And I was mm. like always very interested in what what is this that we came from? Because mm. um, I'll say like I was I'm I'm white, like I look white, I pass as white. Um, I hardly even say pass as white. I mean, I just really am like this white American boy. And um, I mean, I'm with you. I say the I feel like when I started the show, which at this point was a little over two years ago, I was still consistently saying that I'm white passing, but I've stopped saying that because it just doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm just white. I'm just white. Right. Yeah. I'm treated like a white person, whether it's by people of color or other white people. I mean, that's who I am. So which is fine, you know, um, and <laughs> <laughs> but I like to say I like I speak Spanish better than other white people. And I also like I know a little bit more than other white people. Like I definitely didn't confront race as early as like actual people of color. Right. Of but I certainly confronted it before most other white people did is yeah. the way that I put it. And that has given me an advantage to be just like a better person in terms of like um, being more empathetic uh, to certain conversations and also just like knowing my place in those conversations. Mm -hmm. um, to give you an idea, Tejano people, Selena is the best example. She's probably the most popular one. Also Selena Gomez comes from that same um, sort of background. But they and... don't belong in the same conversation, everyone. They do not belong oh, in the same Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> you know, gay people love both of them, so that's something. Uh, you know, my grandfather's name was Miguel Alvarez, mm -hmm. but he went by Mike. And, mm -hmm. you know, my, my uncles are like Juan Alvarez went mm -hmm. by Johnny. The full um, my... assimilationist uh, uh, smorgasbord. Right, right. But it's a little bit of a different assimilation because it happened in like the 1860s and it right, didn't happen right. in like the 1960s, right, right. which is a wild thing. And what a lot of people actually don't know is that, you know, Tejano people really rest at um, like Tejano people rest for people who don't know Tejano people rest at the threads of race in America, like the broken threads. I mean, our history here is very deep and um, it's it's that uh, for people who don't know about Mexico, most of the indigenous population of Mexico live in the Southern part. So Chiapas, like Mexico has mm -hmm. states just like the United States. Um, and, and most of those people live down there by like Guatemala and in the Yucatan Peninsula and those areas. And then the people up North, historically, they're called Norteños in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of like the United States, there's like a north-south divide. They speak different Spanish. They have different words for things. Um, the weather is different. The economy is different. The way, for instance, in southern Mexico, you're more likely in, historically to celebrate Dia de los Muertos. And in the north, you're less likely to celebrate those things. Um, mm. It's just different. But the biggest thing about race is that the people in the north historically are more of European blood. So Spaniards, um, they didn't so much mix in the same way as the people in the South did. I honestly don't really know the history of why that is, but it's just mm. sort of known. And there was this moment back in like the 1800s where, you know, there was a great change happening in Mexico and the people who tended to be more European descent in the North, who also were more rural. I mean, it was a lot of farmers like campesinos right. and, they um 
you know, I've learned this history just through like research and like talking to family, they um, got scared of this idea that um, darker skinned indigenous people were going to be running the country. Mm. And it's sort of a dark history, but they were like, okay, we're going to become an independent Texas. I'm sure there were other things involved in that, like economics and, sure. you know, other stuff like that. But I mean, really, that's what I have come to learn that our history was. So then they become an independent Texas. And of course, the United States at the time is insanely imperialistic in the pre-Civil mm. War period. That's when all that westward oh, expansion yeah. happened. Manifest destiny, trying, baby. Right. They tried to turn them into slave states and stuff. So so um, eventually what happens is the war begins, the Mexican-American War, which obviously is like not a great era of our history. If you have like respect <laughs> for, you know, different cultures <laughs> You know, so, but that's something I always point out is that it wasn't like, you know, some of these Mexicans were like, we don't want to be a part of Mexico. And they were like, we'll join the United States. And obviously there was a lot of power struggle and there was a lot of, you know, disagreement on these things. But eventually they reached out to the Anglos and they were like, we want to become a part of the United States. And they were like, great, we want you to be a part of the United States. There was some really devious stuff in that, obviously, like they were looking to make Texas a slave state, things like that. But um, there was this wild thing after the war was fought and all of those parts of Mexico were given, not given, but taken from Mexico and made a part of the United States. Um, there became this question of citizenship. And um, at the time, the only people who were citizens of the United States were white people. Like that mm -hmm. was the baseline of citizenship in the United States. And what was white was sort of being like determined, right? right? It was Very up fluid. in the air. Yeah. But when the Mexicans in that territory decided they wanted to come and enjoy full American citizenship, they were declared white. And if you are a, a like a Latinx, Latina person in the United States, you know, cause we just had a census that you still to this day unless you are of african or indigenous or asian or a different racial origin you consistently are told to check white and mm -hmm. then for ethnicity you check of hispanic origin and that is the legacy of my family's entry into this country on that side um if you look back at our census records you see juan alvarez felipa boca negra like these very mm -hmm. spanish names where were they born mexico what language do they speak? Spanish. Do they read or write English? No. Race? White. White. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's like you really get to see like, oh, wow, this is truly just like completely made up. Um, yeah. It's a story. <laughs> it's all a story. Was this was did this research start happening later in life for you or was this something that your mom and her side of the family were sort of instilling in you from jump? They didn't care. My family very much does not romanticize their Mexican origins at mm -hmm. all. They like, mm -hmm. they don't even really think about it. We can get deeper into that late, you know, a bit in a bit, but I was interested in it. Cause I was like, what? I was like, mm -hmm. what is this? You know, um, grandpa speaks Spanish and is Brown and mm -hmm. you know, mom's hair is different from the other mom's hair. And yeah. my sister has to pluck her eyebrows when the other girls don't have to. And, you know, it's like, it's just like, yeah, it was wild. I mean, we grew up in Virginia. So my mom was like one of the only people of right. Hispanic descent in our town. One of the few like, you know, Catholics who wasn't like of Irish or Italian descent. Um, 
it was interesting. So I just like, and I dug in on my dad's side too. I was like, oh, like, what are we happening over there? And really it was inspired by the fact that like, when you visit these places that my family descends from, mm -hmm. it is so like, unlike other parts of America. I mean, mm. Appalachia in that area, my father remembers, my father was born in 1954. He remembers when they got indoor plumbing in the house. Like, I mean, it's a it's a place that has been neglected by the country for a really long time. And so has the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, which is where my mom's family descends from. I mean, they when my grandpa was born there in 1932, it was I mean, there was nothing there. You still drive through that area and you yeah. ask most Texans and there'll be Texans who their family has lived in Texas for generations. And they are like, we are the people of Texas. We founded the state. And they've never been to the parts of Texas that my mother's family is from. Mm. If that gives you any idea about what how did like your there. how did your parents meet? My father was in the Air Force, and all of the Air Force people still train in San Antonio, Texas. Uh. And when my mom was um, in high school, they moved to Dallas, and so my mom spent a lot of her time in Dallas. And uh, eventually, they met at working at like a like an airport together because my mom comes from an airline family. Ah, cute, cute. And I want to, so I want to hear a little bit. And also I want to point out if there's anybody that actually listens to the show on this level, like we've already low key talked a little bit about your hometown when Andrew Coulson was on the show. Cause y'all grew up in the same area, right? Yes. And Andrew's half Cuban and half white too. That's right. Um, and, uh, but he looks, I mean, he looks, I pass as like the whitest little white boy. Andrew right. definitely has like darker features than me. I would say Andrew looks a lot more like my mom, where oftentimes they'll get asked, like, are you Italian? Are you mm -hmm. Lebanese? When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Um, so, yeah, it was great to grow up with Andrew. Andrew, like, saved me in many ways when we were kids. Which is yeah, cool. I mean, and I feel like just literally just from Facebook, I feel like I have a picture of your hometown just because of how active you've been in like changing your high school's name and everything. Let's let's get into that a little bit. Okay, so <laughs> I feel very lucky because I grew up in this tiny town. Um, it has a bad history. Recently, it made national news that a man from my hometown uh, drove into a bunch of Black Lives Matter protesters this summer. And when they arrested him, he said, I'm a proud member of the Ku Klux Klan. If that gives you any, they didn't even prompt him to say it. Sheesh. He said Sheesh. it on his own. He's being sentenced to jail time for what he did. And also I think just for being like a, like an active white supremacist. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, our high school mascot was the Confederate soldier. So my high school was built in 1959 to be, uh, when they first built it, it was as a white high school. But by the time it opened in 1959, it it was forced into integration. Mm. So very slowly in like a very painful legal cultural process, which I've come to learn more about. And, um, you know, a man used to dress up in a Confederate uniform and ride a horse across the football field as recently as the 1980s. It's a Confederate, it's called Lee Davis High School. And now it's called Mechanicsville High School, which is great. Mm -hmm. We got it changed. In order to change the names of the high school and the middle school, which was named Stonewall Jackson Middle School and their mascot was the Rebels. Wow. The NAACP had to file a lawsuit in federal court and then the county still fought it. They wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars to protect this name and mascot. Jesus. Wasted, wasted yeah. money. And these yeah. are supposed to be conservative people. Right, right? these, these are care. the austerity budget people. Yes, and tea party people. And I was right. like, well, we see really clearly who you are, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I would say most people were neutral to the names and that it was a small group of people who were actively against them and also a small group of people who were actively for them. Most people were like, who cares? And, you know, which almost is more dangerous in a way. Mm -hmm. And um, so they changed it. But I mean, we grew up in that culture, Andrew and I, and you know, it's hard. I feel lucky. My parents aren't from there. My father's from the mountains. They don't care about Confederate flags. When I was growing up, West Virginia um, and Ohio were blue states. They were blue states. It's crazy to think about. It's crazy to think about. And I mean, Mexican Americans from Texas always vote Democrat. And it stems from the FDR programs in the 1930s. And they still Mm. vote Democrat. If you look at a map of the last election, while Latinos in many ways, it wasn't that Latinos really flipped. It was that more conservative Latinos, I believe, who usually don't vote came they out to up. vote yeah they showed up which is wild um so yeah so um i feel really lucky because like through that whole process my parents were very supportive of me they agreed they were like we would never die on this hill to keep these names um we don't think that robert e lee was a good man yeah. we don't think that slaves were happy these things that that camp would say like yeah. on social media I just think there's something fascinating to me. I mean, this is a show about like foregrounding culture and heritage. And and anytime I've engaged with anybody from one of these communities or sort of who grew up in these in these in these types of communities, the the defense for for like this Confederate rebel worship is always like it's this is my heritage. This is my culture is always the fallback. So to to grow up inside of that bubble but all but to actually have like heritage outside of it i think must have been a tripped out experience well going back to the history if you remember when texas entered the union in the 1840s they then became a confederate state Mm -hmm. and mexican-american people in texas at that time i mean brownsville at the gulf of mexico was a huge naval base for the confederacy right and there were tejano people who were there who took different sides so you know that's real and you have to sort of like come to terms with that that you know there's a lot of anti-blackness in tejano communities as there Mm. is in a lot of latino communities and certainly certainly in among my peruvian family and like network certainly yes 
Yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously, and it's tough too, because a lot of those people in their own countries uh, enjoy the privileges of whiteness. And then when they come here, it's like, you're not white. Mm. You're not white to us. You know, it's really interesting. And of course, Mexico, you know, we're always taught that the United States is a melting pot, but Mexico is also a melting pot. I mean, Mexico City is full of Jewish people and it's full of, of black people. Uh, it's full of uh, Lebanese Christians. Um, Same with with Lima. We there's a ton of Japanese people, Chinese people, a lot of Jews. Like a very like yeah. the the whole American melting pot, like the American exceptionalist thing, like that was beaten into us very young, is such a a strange myth. Yeah, it's a lie, and you know um, that's really interesting for my family because they've been in Texas. They were there through the Civil War, and. Um, they were in the Confederate territory. And I also had family on my white side that fought for the Confederacy. And I had family on my white side. You know, West Virginia's history is famously anti-Confederate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like, know that. West Virginia was founded because the people in the mountains of Virginia, they said, we don't want to fight a war over slavery. And mm-hmm. certainly if we do, it's not going to be on the side of the slaves. So there's this thing called the Wheeling Convention and it was West Virginia's formal breakaway from the state of Virginia during the Civil War. And those people had it really tough because you're on the front lines because yeah. like there's old stories if they would have a Confederate flag and they'd have an American flag. And it's like you would look to see which soldiers were coming and you would switch it out because they really ultimately just wanted peace. Like they didn't care. You know, they just didn't want to fight. They were like, why? We were not going to send our we're not going to send our sons to die. But until, you know, West Virginia was created after the Civil War. So also it's really tragic sort of that history because most of Virginia's infrastructure was in the eastern part of the state. I mean, in the western part of the state, there were hardly roads. There were no prisons. There wasn't like a state capitol building. Mm -hmm. There weren't a lot of school infrastructure. Uh, You know, the state like really started from scratch at the end of a war, which is wild but you know luckily there a lot of people in West Virginia have started to appropriate confederate culture which is very sad for me to see Mm -hmm. because I'm like that's like so against the history of your founding I mean you had people die to fight against the confederacy and here you are flying that flag in the name of white supremacy it's it's like I wish I mean I'm always with a lot of people who descend from Appalachian folks and we're like uh um, you know, it's just this feeling of like, um, why would you do that? Like, because there's a, there's one thing I love about people back there is that there's a sense of like stubbornness, like stubborn, um, liberation. And also like a lot of people who are sort of like, um, there's a curiosity about people there as opposed Mm -hmm. to a fear of those that are different. There's like a curiosity of them. And there's a long history of white supremacy and eugenics hurting people in those areas Mm -hmm. through sterilization and forced migration. And a lot of the first like anti-American rebellions started in West Virginia from the coal miners who were like treated like garbage by these these companies. There's histories of um, coal mines used to pay coal miners in fake money, like monopoly money. Wow. And that way you could only spend it at your like mine town like you know when you treat people that way it's like you know it's not like they were rising up for but those also those protests 
you know, we're trying, we're, there's a lot of movements online that are really trying hard to educate Appalachian people on like our own history because those protests also were multiracial mm. coalitions. Mm. And a lot of people don't know, but there's this history of, um, there was this group of like white people who were from Appalachia who moved to Chicago in the 60s and they actually formed coalitions with like um, the uh, like the Black Panther parties there and the Latinx, um, like there were a lot of Mexican Americans in Chicago and they, they worked with them in order to build multiracial coalitions for a better city, like to fight mm. corruption. And it wasn't perfect, obviously. Like, it's not like these people were like, whoop, we got rid of all of our racial bias. <laughs> but that's what kills me is like, you know, we still haven't really even been able to integrate like Yale or Harvard. But then, you know, these white folks from the country, like the Hills were like, look, we're gonna build a coalition with you all to create real meaningful change, even if it's not perfect. And you don't really see that from people who are from areas like Boston that are considered yeah, much more progressive. Well, yo, you know, I was I I was born in Boston, and I went to well, I we moved to New York when I was like a year old. But I went to college. I went to undergrad in Boston, and the whole like mythos of Boston being this like liberal bastion is so it's crazy. And I'd imagine like uh, from your perspective as somebody who grew up in the South and ended up moving to New York and like entering the art scene like that. I feel like that thought pattern of like oh these southern nerds and their like backwards thinking is so pervasive even in the circles we run in sometimes and i just uh like it's like i'd be interested to hear your perspective on that yeah i mean um it was sort of demoralizing so i went from a real country town which is like mm -hmm. it has voted republican since before you know like mm -hmm. reagan through now it's voted yeah. republican um and I went to the University of Virginia, and that is considered in places like where I grew up as being prestigious. I mean, if you get into that school, you're on your way out, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to have a great life, you're going to get a good job, you know, it's an honor and not a ton. There's college, there's high schools in Northern Virginia, which is the wealthiest, most urban, most diverse part of the state. And there's like whole whole classes that go to the University of Virginia mm. from there because they have better public schools with higher tax revenue. And um, so those kids get like SAT prep and they have That's better the access That's the to AP and IV classes. And then yeah. you go to UVA and you like meet some of these people and you're like, oh, we've been totally cheated. Like you all, mm. there's this myth that like we're the best and the brightest. And I'm like, oh, wow, like not at all. Like you would have mm -hmm. to like integrate before you could call yourselves the best and the brightest, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, and you know that was really that was hateful and then to go to new york too and and realize that there's so many people who are like you know we're very liberal and i'm like well if you're liberal like wouldn't you want to live in like integrated housing and they're like well what can be done there's nothing to do we're all doing our best am i supposed to live in the street my god you know mm -hmm. and it's like no what is it, it, it what what's, what's the acronym nimby nimby not in my backyard yeah, yeah for, for yeah. people who don't have housing yeah i mean right. that's real i i just think um you know i've talked to people back home and, and you know places like westchester that are deeply segregated and scarsdale yeah. and you look at those places and they vote democrat and it's like well of course they vote democrat because they are confident that they will never lose this access and privilege that they have and 
you know, I think in some ways a little difference is like they don't want to change the system to make it easier for people of color to gain access. But if a couple do every couple of years, we're fine with that, you know, and as we'll, long as they we, we'll sure in. as hell we'll sure as hell put it on a brochure. Right. And that's like, you know, it was hard for me to start to learn that stuff. Even learning about Donald Trump was wild because he's from Queens and I'm yeah, used to he's like a New Yorker. Jeff, yeah, your Jeff Sessions, your Lindsey right. Grahams. And my boss, when, he's a Queens native, and he was talking about, um, Ryan, if you go to certain parts of Queens and you go into like an Irish bar at four o'clock on a weekday, there's a hundred Donald Trumps. Mm, it's like, mm-hmm. he's not an anomaly either. Yeah. And the longer I've lived here, the more I've learned about the history through various activists and through participating in different protests and organizations. And wow, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's wild to see you know, that we were, we were also taught, you know, and my mom, my mom went through busing. It was really interesting because, you know, shout out to famous uh, mixed race person, Kamala Harris. But, uh, <laughs> when she was that little girl was me, that little girl was, yeah. And I mean, that was powerful. Cause like my mom uh, went through integration in Dallas in the 1970s and um, they lived in a mixed race, white, Latinx neighborhood and she was bused from a high school that was near her home and for people in Dallas like you'll know these names I mean she was districted for MacArthur High School in Irving and she was bused to Irving High School where she graduated um and yeah I mean when when we were growing up too I've heard stories about if you were white you got detention if you were black you were suspended and if you were Latinx, you had to clean the cafeteria. Uh, and those were the conversations that sparked the Chicano rights movement. Because also up until then, I think that a lot of like Latinx people who come fr- from deep roots in Texas certainly did not see themselves as, as being like in solidarity with black people. Mm-hmm. I will say the majority. But there's some, but as it became more indigenized, the populations of Mexican Americans living in Texas, there seemed to be a little bit more solidarity, you know, with with Black people in Texas. Um, Julian Castro's mother is an incredible example. People Mm -hmm. always talk about Joaquin and and Julian, but uh, their mom's the best. Like, I think everyone should look this woman up. She's a word I don't know about her. She comes from Mexican immigrants, and she was active on the ground in Mexican communities in San Antonio back in the 60s and the 70s, and she's just cool. She's just like, and what's so powerful about her is she was someone who, like, didn't even want to do that. She was just like, well, how can I not, you Mm -hmm. know, which even talking to people who integrated my high school through my, you know, process of changing the mascot, that's really what you see. They were just mm. like people. And if they didn't have to do this, they wouldn't have done it. Cause they they, yeah. they just, they did it cause they had to. But it's like, if they could go back and like have not done it at all because it could have just been better. <laughs> right. They would right. have been very happy. Cause that's like the narrative around these things. Like you'd be amazed what people from my hometown said. Things like the NAACP's out here stirring the pot disrupt in our quiet christian Oof. town and it's like Oof. i'm sorry like we're not it was like i was like are you spitting at black children trying to walk into high school it's like because that's what you sound like <laughs> yeah. you sound like these whites i was like the naacp stirring the pot 
no. Are you mm. kidding me? Mm. I was like, you should be so embarrassed to think that, much less say it out loud, you know? Like, absolutely insane. But my mother, it's been really interesting. Obviously, like, she's had a, a wild relationship to whiteness her whole life. Um, I certainly didn't understand it. She, uh, when I came out to my mom as gay, one of the first things that she said was, don't date Latin men, straight up. Wow. 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 I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Which I say that in my comedy routines and stuff. And sometimes Latin women are like, yeah, mama, we get it. Like, uh -huh. and it's really oh. funny. <laughs> believe, believe me, I can hear it. Like, I can hear it so clearly. That's amazing. But it's the optics of it. Like, this yeah. woman telling her little white son who's gay, like, don't date Latin men. And, of course, I've dated... Um, different people of different races and i've brought home latin men and she's like fine she loves them one of my yeah, longest yeah. relationships was with um, a venezuelan man and she loved him to death so i mean clearly it was just her own you know past prejudice and really it's just because she dated i think a lot when she lived in texas and maybe had like some bad experiences with machismo and then she found a little bit more like low-key boring white men who maybe like didn't have as much machismo um and she and this is how people like us get made ryan <laughs> exactly like exactly <laughs> <laughs> like we've gone through her yearbook before and she's been like i dated that guy i didn't like him i've dated that mm -hmm. guy i didn't like him and you know a lot of the people um who come from like tejano roots when she was growing up like they all have like the easy spanish names like my mother's maiden name is alvarez mm -hmm. there were a lot of like gomez menendez uh like uh, there were a lot of Garcias, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, more sort of like traditional Spanish names that you still see in Spain very often. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was really um, interesting to like see that because I remember looking through her yearbook and also like, you know, my mom is like very, I'm very white. I'm very pale for the listeners, like white, 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 white. There's so many mm -hmm. photos of me, like with my cousins and stuff. Yeah. And it's so embarrassing. Like we're like this glowing orb in the corner, my sister and I just like Same dying in the sun. Thing. <laughs> I literally was looking through family pictures last week and it's literally just these two little snowmen in the in the front yes. of a group of brown people it's so and funny. they're not dark but we make them look darker just by exactly. being and that's tough because we used to cross the border right with our family i mean when i was mm. growing up the border was like it was like you could just walk across for the day and get some good cheap yummy delicious authentic food mm. when we visit mexico we buy boxes and boxes of tamales yeah. And then we bring them home and we freeze them like tamales homemade in the corn yep. husk. Yep. And of course, like to bring in a little bit of like the white trash culture, we pop them in the microwave, you know what I yes, mean? With a yes, paper yes, towel yes, wrapped yes, around yes. them. And they're good. And we would eat them for like weeks after we would come back from Texas. Um, I love it. And I love it. so good. But when we cross the border, like, I mean, you can just ask people if you are brown people in a car and there's 
two little white children in the back of that car, you're getting stopped at the border. <laughs> like, there's no way, whether you're walking yeah. or you're driving, because there's a footbridge in Brownsville as well. It's across the border from Matamoros, which for our Spanish speaker, also literally Matamoros means like killed like the Moors, which is like sort of racist. I don't really know the history definitely. behind that name. But definitely racist. Safe to assume it's a pretty racist Sp history. Safely racist. Checks out. Um, Hashtag safely racist. Yeah. Hashtag safely <laughs> racist. Jesus. Um, so yeah. Here's so a... Here's something I'm I'm interested in in talking to you about because I feel like you of all of the like comedy people who we sort of like came up at the same time who I follow on social media I feel like you're one of the people who does the best job of authentically combining it's it's clear you have like an authentic activist streak and like that like that is a, a core value to you and I feel like in in the context of comedy specifically but also like being a performer more broadly like it has become currency to call yourself an activist in like every 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 actor's instagram bio says that they are an activist now and i right. just think i see you as somebody who authentically combines the two worlds in a way that a lot of people are sort of posturing at so i, I i'm just interested like what your philosophy is on like pursuing your pursuing your goals as a performer while never losing sight of the 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 activist core basically oh god this is like therapy now um, let's go let's go <laughs> well that's very sweet of you to say um, i genuinely mean it i genuinely mean it that's so sweet i just think it comes from being like raised by these people where like in a lot of ways i think my family on both sides are like really incredible like what they've overcome i mean i grew up with like a dad who remembers getting indoor plumbing on the dairy farm like they used to put bricks in the the stove and they would put them in their bed so that they would be warm i mean wild like when you're growing up it's like a lot of the white kids in our hometown did not do those kinds of things and my my grandfather my like papa mike was an exceptional exceptional person i mean he was born in 1932 in brownsville texas and you know he my mom was actually born in um seattle washington and that is because they were like going up and down the west coast looking for work and stuff mm. and i was raised in a pretty like suburban you know rural white environment like you don't know that your family went through these right. things until right. you ask um he was a korean war veteran and like my grandfather used to, he was a very emotional like man like very um he felt very deeply um he was great with children but he could also like, we would go on walks and he would like crack a walnut in his bare hand and like give it to me to eat. And like, wow, I was like, you're, he loved fishing. Like he, he could provide for himself. And when you come from these people, like for me, I always wanted to sort of like romanticize it. Like, oh my goodness, like you guys have overcome so much. You're truly incredible. But what you find from these people is they do exactly the opposite, sometimes to their detriment, right? Mm. Like they're like, same with like the people I met who integrated my high school. They're like, I guess maybe it wasn't that bad. And I think the reason why they say that is because they were always around people who were less lucky than them in the sense mm. that like, it. Does, my grandfather was raised by his grandparents in a home of like more than 15 children. I've like seen the photos and, um, you know, th there's a reason why that part of Texas is the most underdeveloped part of Texas, right? It's because right. there's brown people who live there. And 
my grandfather never connected really to race, truly. I mean, he didn't see himself as like, he spoke Spanish when we would go out to eat at places where there was Spanish. Um, he loved Mexican food. He loved Mexican music, but mm -hmm. he wasn't, he didn't put that out there. Like that was like his biggest thing. And my, he passed that down to my mother as well. And they, you know, I, I just think that that gave me, I think a lot of times white liberals fall into identity politics for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Like white liberals are like, oh, we're doing this to like, you know, help these people. Like you say Black Lives Matter enough and it like loses its meaning, right? I mean, yeah. you forget the stories behind it, like the real emotions, you forget- the human beings, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that has just connected me, right, to these people where it's like, um, they don't see themselves that way. In fact, like you see so many of those people sort of fight against that, right? And you see that with gay people too, where they're like, oh, like I'm gay, but like, what's the point? It's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to like win you know, a, a better queer world. I'm trying to like do this thing that I've always wanted to do, like go to my elementary school and marry someone who I love, you know, it's yeah. like, um, I think it's important that instead of like listing all the identities, you just talk about what you're fighting for, which is ultimately like equity and justice. Mm -hmm. And when, when I frame that with my like Mexican side of the family in terms of equity and justice, I find that they're far more responsive and they connect to it a lot better than if I frame it as like, like Chicano rights, like we're gonna unite like our history and you know, blah, blah, blah. Like oftentimes like my mother, I really feel for a long time she suppressed that part of herself. And that might even be why she entered into a marriage with like a white man and had two very white children. It's, um, it's only been recently that my mother like when my grandpa died, I inherited all of these old like um, Chicano, like Tejano music records that he had mm -hmm. in his storage. And he was always blasting, like he would blast like disco as much as he would blast like Tejano music. Like it was this real mesh between it mm -hmm. and not, and also like some, like, you know, um, a lot of Tejano artists like enter a lot of American uh, musical trends and cultural trends and, yeah. um, you know, it's it's this interesting thing where, uh, you know, my mom recently was like on OK Cupid, and she hasn't really ever like referred to herself as like a Latina. Like she's never like she doesn't speak Spanish. First of all, she has a Southern mm -hmm. accent, and what it is is like when you're like, like if she had grown up in Boston, she'd probably be like I'm Mexican, <laughs> like because yeah. she would have stood out. But because she was always surrounded by like other Tejano people, she was more like, ah, oh, it's not that important to me, which I think you see a lot. Like if there's an Indian American in the United States and like a pop star wears a bindi on their forehead, they're mm -hmm. mad about it because they've just dealt with like every day of their life dealing with ignorant white people right. doing shit like that. Right. And then if you talk to a lot of actual like people who grew up in India, they don't really take it as like seriously. They're like, sure, that's stupid, but like, who cares? Like let white people be stupid. You know, it's right, more sort right. of like, and my mom was on OkCupid and this man, like, you know, she's in a conservative area. So like she was talking to a more conservative white man and he said something that triggered her and she read, she was so passionate about it. She like read the message out loud to me. And she said, it was talking about how Trump was racist. And she literally was just like, I'm a proud Latina woman and I was bused 
to a different school. So don't you tell me about what is racist and what is not racist. And that was beautiful because like my mom has always felt a weird connection to her Latin roots in the same way that I have, honestly. Um, It's like something you're proud of, but it's also something like you feel like you can't always speak on, right? And she has felt that as well. And um, if you had asked me to describe like the central thesis of this show, like I would have said something like the last sentence you just said. Like that's exactly the feeling. Yeah, I do a lot in my comedy about that. Like my mom in a lot of ways has encouraged my sister and I to aspire for whiteness, truly. And it's easy for us. Like we look look white. Um, But it's also like, um, you know, it's interesting because I also know if there's like, if I'm in a room full of like dark-skinned Latinx people, these are not my conversations. Like I'm here to support and I'm here to learn, but like uh, I'm white. So I was involved with like the Latino Student Alliance at the University of Virginia. And that was a huge learning experience for me. And obviously there'd be lots of people who became like deeply close personal friends of mine from that experience. But there were also people who were deeply skeptical of me being involved, which is like, oh, fair. Like, I yeah. like I get that. Like, if you weren't, I'd be shocked. It comes but, with the territory. Yeah, and I'm used to that. I mean, when you grow up with people who are a different race than you and your family, like, you can't help feel anything but white because it's like, you know, like, you are the reason why your mom gets, like, stopped at the border. And, like, I remember when I was a kid and, like, I dropped a cereal box in, like, the grocery store aisle and my grandpa like was at the other end of the aisle and this woman came up to me and was like oh my god where is your mom like you just dropped like you're dropping stuff like who who's here to watch you and I was like my grandpa and he was the only other person in the aisle and she was like where is he and I was Mm. like over there and she was like where and she like did not believe that like this this man could be my grandfather or even like my grandfather was a chaperone on a middle school trip one time Mm. and I like didn't even know he was different from the other grandparents right. who were the chaperones. And then then you realize like, oh, grandpa has an accent and other mm-hmm. people don't have that accent. But of course my grandfather like was American to his core. I mean, there was one time that there, we were in North Carolina and this dog was like uh, pooping in his yard and the woman wasn't picking up after it. So he confronted her just like as a neighbor and said like, you need to like, start picking up after your dog. I don't need that in my yard. And she was like, go back to your country. And I was like, excuse me. I'm sure like Dylan talked about this too, like as being people who aren't white, who have been in this country for a long time. One of the deepest threads is that so many of my Mexican American family are veterans of war. Mm. And he's a Korean war veteran. And you're going to tell this man to go back to his country. Right. And you, it's so interesting because like DACA, for instance, one of the ways to get, you know, eligible for DACA is to serve in the U.S. military, which I personally feel is like this very hateful thing, right? Yeah, I, I agree. Because white people, I mean, DACA is great in the sense that I appreciate that there's some kind of path to right. citizenship for people, but it's it's like to make them serve and like risk their life in a way that like our people never had to do. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, you know, that's absolutely miserable and there's a history of it you know of of brown like uh, my mom's family and my dad's family bond because besides brown people the largest um community affected by the draft was poor white people in appalachia 
and my mm. uncle was drafted into the Vietnam War. And I think my dad really resonated, that resonated with him where he was like, oh, wow, like in some ways we're like the most patriotic part of the country and, 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 and they really don't even care if we live or die, mm. you know, which is really powerful. And my, you know, and there's lots of veterans on both sides of my family, like that, like yeah. war, 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 war. Like, I mean, they go back all the way to the, like the, the revolutionary war. And I mean, it's, it's powerful that that sort of unites the two sides. Um, while one is like, I mean, the Korean war was the first time that they integrated the military, like Eisenhower integrated the military right. for Korean war. And my grandfather fought in that war and was not white. And you know, it's it's really interesting. So and here we are. Found... Here we are doing Zoom comedy. <laughs> exactly. They they <laughs> sacrifice so much. I always say like my mom, like you know, she's not an immigrant, but she married a white man. So in a way, I do carry that burden of sacrifice with me every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's how I fit that into my comedy. Is like yeah. like for me, it's like um, I love satire, mm -hmm. and so pointing out things that are wrong in the world, like. Um, it's growing up with like, you know, a Catholic Mexican side and a Presbyterian like Scots Irish side, you, you have people who have seen like some of the lowest segments of society. You have people who have been in this country for a very long time. Like my grandfather and my dad used to bond because while they're veterans, they were always like, oh, wow, the military sucks. Like if you don't have a college diploma, if you're not John McCain, you know, mm -hmm. they don't give you good housing and they don't give you the same opportunities and you have to risk your life a lot more and you get shittier food. Right. And this is what they're not going to tell you at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. But like when I was growing up, I hear these funny things like my family for everything they've been through have an incredible sense of humor on both sides they're mm. brilliant um i love them like they um there's like an anarchist sort of like anti-authoritarian wing of like appalachian people and mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that that has started to like turn um in a way that's like very white supremacist as opposed to more like let's fight those systems of white supremacy that are actually keeping us down as well um, and then, you know, in, in the Mexican-American side, there's very much like, a, you know, in South Texas, it's like we live off the land, like we don't need those people coming in here telling us what to do. There's an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, which is really powerful. And um, that's where like a lot of my comedy comes from. And also like I grew up in Virginia. When I graduated high school, I was very ignorant. You know, mm -hmm. I did well in school, but I certainly was not prepared to navigate a diverse globalized world. And um, I love to meet people who are different from me. And I love to tell them about my family. And I love to learn from them because you only learn more ways that like, for instance, um, at the border, my family has been in South Texas for so long that we have family buried on the other side of the wall. So the wall, the border is the river, Rio Grande, but um, we have family buried in between the river and the border wall. So it's really common. There are all these families along the border. We are given a code and mm. you drive up to the wall and you type in a code and the wall opens. Wow. And then you drive through the wall and you can go to, you know, the graveyard of your family. It's called like San Rosalea. And I've had, you know, that's how people leave like bottles of water and soda mm. and food for people who are crossing 
um, undocumented. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot, even conservative people at the, at the border don't believe in the wall. There's like this phrase of like, um, give me a 12 foot wall, I'll give you a 13 foot ladder, you right. know, I've heard I mean, that one. Yeah. They know it's a waste they know it doesn't work. And also you, you find the bodies on yeah. your land. And that's like a deeply humanizing personal experience, you know, where it's like, wow, like this is real. Like we should be, there's got to be a different way to do this. Yeah. And when you're growing up, like you grow up in the border, you grow up at the mountains, you learn these things. Like you learn that borders aren't so meaningful and you learn that different kinds of people can kind of coexist. And, um, and, and that's sort of like why I love my comedy is because I grew up around people who make a lot of jokes about like a lot of really dark things. And so in, in terms of like activism, what I find is like, instead of trying to like be an activist in your comedy, it's much more productive to just sort of like point out these anachronisms of capitalism. And also like, it's very easy not to victimize these people when you're doing comedy about them, when you like, they're your family, right? Um, right. Because I think a lot of times white liberals will sort of like victimize these people and get rid of their agency. But if I ever tried to do that to my family, they would like put a fucking boot in my ass, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's wild. And I could never do that because like, I have so much respect for them and they've accomplished so much on their own while also constantly reminding me like, there's always someone worse off always and so where i go with my humor for instance like you know i get very frustrated in white liberal conversations and by white liberal conversations oftentimes there are more privileged latinx people asian mm -hmm. people black people in these conversations and i'm white in these conversations but it has happened where there's been an international latinx person in a conversation we'll be at like the jane hotel right and people will be outside smoking and there's Arabs, there's Mexicans, there's uh, Israelis, there's mm -hmm. Russians, there's Africans, like there's um, people from China and Korea and we're all chilling, right? And one of the Latinx people will say something that's like deeply ignorant. For instance, like, oh, well, we have a lot of servants back home, but that's just a part of the culture. And I'm like, <laughs> and I pause and I'm like, okay, like, you just said that and it is your culture but you also need to understand that first of all there's no poor people from your culture who are currently in this conversation to refute what you're saying and mm. you're also around a bunch of white americans and if they're white liberals the philosophy is like oh i'll just take you know what you have to say on bonk and just be like not question it because you're brown right. you're brown right. you don't speak english you're from a different country i have to respect like you're the person who knows the most about your country but in reality it's like i work at a theater where we have a lot of places where like native americans can have panels where it's only native americans and and you know moments like that and that's where you see that there's a lot of disagreement and what i'm really after is creating those safe spaces where that kind of like antagonistic you know conflict can happen mm -hmm. among groups that need to have those conversations outside of the gaze of white supremacy. Because I feel lucky that I have family who is not white, who can just like be more honest with me. Yeah. But you also have to accept when you're white and you live with family that isn't white, you have to accept that you shouldn't start those conversations with them. You can tell them you love them. You can tell them you trust them. You can tell them that they're safe with you. But my mother, who had to deal with these things from the day she was born, 
it, it is not right for me to make her talk about these things on my terms, right? And you can bring, and I've felt that when I dated people who weren't my race too. I mean, it's been very helpful to learn and has been a long road and it has been difficult and it has been humbling and it has, you know, but you, that's like the biggest thing that I've learned from growing up from a mixed race family is that, you know, while I can in that situation at the Jane Hotel say something like, well, that's easy for you to say because none of those servants are here, are they? Right. 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 And I'm not going to like, I'm going to just frame it in a way where I'm going to say like what you're saying in the same way where it's not my conversation to have with you about your culture, the conversation you're having right now about your culture is on a panel of people who are not in your culture. And there's no one else here who is from there. And there's no diversity of representation from people from your culture. And I know from experience that many of them would disagree with you. And you mm -hmm. can like leave it at that. Um, and that's like a thing about being mixed race is that that's how I've learned to sort of navigate those conversations is like, I'm white, I'm white, but I'm like, while I'm white, you're also the only person who looks like you who's here because of white supremacy and because of white liberalism and because of assimilation. And I said like, what you're talking about, I'm just gonna tell you that while I'm not the person to have this conversation with, neither is anyone else who's here. Right. So, you know, not check yourself, but like- Tread lightly, tread lightly. Yeah, you know, and you see that, like when I was in school, people who are from uh, Honduras, who grew up in Honduras and come to the University of Virginia, and then people who fled Honduras because of the wars that those people's families started profited from. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they're all here in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, wow. you know, it's mixed. Like you can only generalize, but, you know, people who grew up in the US tend to be a little more liberal, open on issues of abortion, a different relationship to Catholicism, mm -hmm. more open to gay rights you know, but it, which is also generalizing, it's not a rule, but you grew up in different places, but you're from the same place. And so then that's a great example of like, who gets to speak for Honduran culture. And I think that that's like the failure of white liberalism is that they expect someone to yes, speak absolutely. for Honduran culture. And it's like, why is anyone doing it? Like, I'm just a person from Honduras, you know, it's like, right. I can speak to my experience. Right. Um, but, but that has helped me navigate the world too, because there are, as we saw in this last election, you know, race is not a defining factor for beliefs or politics or anything like that. Unless it's mm. white people, they're pretty much evil most of the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We're we're pretty lockstep, us white people. <laughs> the last thing I'll say is just like, um, it's nice. Like growing up, you know, I'm white, I, but there's little things that trickle down from Mexican culture in the same way that little things trickle down from you know Appalachian culture and the things that I love the most about my mom's family is like you know there's Camino in all the food like everyone cooks mm -hmm. with cumin I didn't even yes. know it wasn't called Camino until I was like older yo and Peruvians Peruvians put Camino in fucking everything I feel you everything and my mom will be like southern she'll be like oh you know we're gonna go down we're gonna get this at the store we're gonna get that at the store and we're gonna put Camino in it <laughs> and you know there's things of like um 
like my father loves menudo, which is like a very popular traditional Mexican dish, and my mom hates it. So like this white man always coming to be like, "Ooh, I want menudo," and my mom's like, "Well, open the windows because it's gonna stink up the house." Um, and you know, um, it, it it's it's so interesting to I feel you don't realize that those things are special until you're older, you know. Absolutely. Um, because in the moment they're special because you're with your family. But then it feels like a privilege later that you that you have access to a culture that, you know, other people maybe don't. Uh, Absolutely. And, and it's really and I love, you know, when I was dating uh, this guy who was Venezuelan, like when we went to his house for holidays, like we got pernil mm -hmm. and we got ayacas and we got and, and it was nice because it's like, you know, we have kind of given up on some of those traditions of like making tamales at Christmas and um you know, we don't really listen to Tejano music all the time or anything like that. But it's really lovely to know that we still descend from that and that I'm right. proud everywhere I go to represent Tejano culture um, and Mexican-American culture in this country and to continue to learn about it. And we always joke, like my mom always says, like, you know, all the races keep mixing in the United States. One day we'll all be brown. And I laugh at her and I'm like, well, you certainly didn't help with that <laughs> you at fuck, all. You fucked like, that up. <laughs> I was like, you took, I was like, I was like, you took like a Mexican American person and like <laughs> made these like white ass children. I was like, so yep. in a way <laughs> you yep. didn't mix the races, but I was like, it got a little more diluted than I think we expected. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. right? I right, I genuinely feel like I could go two more hours, but like totally. I know, I know we got to get you out of here, but I would love to have you back anytime. Oh, I'd love that too. Even if you want to do it with like, I don't know, like um, all people who sort of come from our background, you know, like one white parent, one like Latinx parent, like I, I, I know what I, through doing this show, I now know an absurd amount of people who have that same profile. So I'm down. Yeah, it mixes. They always do. It's so funny. Like, um, yeah, my it's funny. My dad, like the last thing I'll say is like, I'll ask him sometimes I'll be like, what did you love about mom like when you met her you know like what was it and he like will say normal things like i felt like she would be a good mother she was very warm she was very um like uh kind and and outgoing and very personable with people and then sometimes it's really funny because i'll also go and you know i just like i love that culture like i love <laughs> like he was like your mother's family is very like loud and warm and they like mm -hmm. dancing and they mm -hmm. eat good food. And, you know, he just flat out says it. And, you know, it's funny because there's lots of important conversations about exotization in our communities right. and Fetishization. stuff. Fetishization. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, my dad really loved my mom, but I think it was just like this boring ass white guy who was like, oh my God, but, like, I love being around your mother and her family because like, they treat me like I'm family too. And mm -hmm. it's something different and I love it. And he's like grown to love it, you know? Um, and, I, and, and I think that that honestly probably even had like a positive impact on my father too, who grew For up sure. in a dairy farm in Appalachia with like 99% white people. Um, and that's something I'm always proud of with my dad too, is it's like, wow, like it's lovely to know that, you know, he's obviously not free of prejudice, but like, that back then like you loved this woman and you married her and you had children with her and that was never a thing that you second thought about you know yeah. this idea mm -hmm. of like will we face something difficult right. or prejudice um 
and I always try to give my parents credit there. I'm like, wow, like, you know, you guys, um, that's like, that's, you should, you should give yourself some credit. Like that's powerful. Um, truly, that truly. you were fearless in that sense. So that's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. This was the best. Yeah, thank you for having me. I look forward to, you know, stay in touch through everything, okay? I Absolutely. can't wait till it comes out. We'll see what it sounds like. It's it's going to come out mad soon. Do you want to plug anything really quick before you did? Yeah, um, just plug off magazine, awf.com, and it's queer satire. We're, our two-year anniversary is coming up in March, and we published, like, over 60 different queer writers, and we have over mm -hmm. 200 uh, satirical articles for the queer experience. So Hell yeah. uh, I want to, I want to shout out one person, uh, who I think contributes to off Denzel Berlin. Denzel Berlin. Who's I met him. Lovely. I met him. I met him at an improv theater in Minnesota. He's listened to this show <gasps> since the beginning and I love him. Shout out to Denzel. Denzel's the best. He's, he's, uh, endlessly funny. One of my favorite things that he wrote, um, was like how love Simon taught me all the two ways to be a black man. <laughs> and it was the first thing that he wrote, I think. And it's just like endlessly. I mean, I just was like, who is this brilliant person? That's perfect satire. So he's the best. He's the best. Yeah. Well, all hey, right. Denzel. Hey girl. <laughs> Ryan, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you too. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. <laughs> That's it for another week's episode of La Mescla. Thank you so much to Ryan Leach for coming in. Everybody, please sure to uh, please be sure to follow Ryan on all platforms. Uh, all the links to his stuff are in the description to this episode. Uh, make sure to follow Off Mag uh, on all platforms. That's at AWF Mag, a super super funny satiric satirical uh, uh, comedy uh, magazine that that Ryan is a co-founder of. Definitely go support that and everything else that he's in, and uh, continue to support uh, La Mescla. Follow us on all platforms at la mezcla pod uh tell people about the show like rate review and subscribe da, 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 da. you know the deal thank you to everybody who's helping me out with the show thank you to you for listening and i'm uh i really want to go to sleep it's the middle of the night oh my god the outros to these episodes are always such a mess i i don't know how many people listen to the last second of this show so if, if you're here thank you for staying and uh, uh uh i can't wait to bring you another episode very very soon Okay, I'm gonna go to bed now. It's it's 4:30 a.m. Jesus Christ. Okay, good night. É tudo que você vai querer de boa. Só quero que a vida seja tranquila. Comida essa vida por uma mulher bonita não vacila. Não pisa na bola. Eu perdi meu caminho, mas lembrei da volta. Agarra tua chance de sucesso e não solta. Não paro pra nada, cara nem quebra mola. Melhor coisa que eu fiz foi pra
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.